the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to The Sessions. Another episode lined up here for you guys as we do two episodes a week, an episode Tuesday, an episode on Thursday. The best of on Saturday. So there's three. Uh, man, hats off to FTR. They were um, on the episode on Tuesday this week. Dax and Cash absolutely freaking tore it up on Dynamite. Singles competition. What a crazy, amazing scenario just to see those two tear it up. Uh, we knew that they were going to, you know, like we knew that this was going to be something so special and so cool. And you had CM Punk on commentary for that. Like, oh my gosh, hats off to everybody involved. It was uh, everything that we wanted it to be. So kudos, FTR. Which now brings us into this episode. A man that dare we say was teased on Dynamite? Did we see that? Do we hear that? A little tease, perhaps? I am joined by W. Morrissey, William Morrissey. You guys may know him uh, as well, Big Cass, uh, first time in WWE over at Impact now. Just crushing it. Like the dude looks like a million dollars. He seems like he feels like a million dollars. So much to talk to this guy about. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of his stuff has been very public from some of his uh, struggles, some of the things that he has been through. So, you know, we we take such a dive into all that stuff. Just what he's been through, his recovery, uh, his process, some of the things that he went through professionally, personally, all of those things. So we get into it. Bill is an absolute open book during all of this. So thank you to him for for coming on and, and providing that. Always love those conversations. and. I always just love getting to see a friend that I've not seen in a little while. It's always funny kind of doing these episodes like that. And you feel like you're just like catching up as like two human beings. But then it's like also just being recorded and sent out to people. But yeah, such a great conversation. I think you guys are going to love this. Let's just get into it. Here he is. Here's W. Morrissey. I have so much to talk to you about that I'm like, where do I even start? 
Do we start in WWE? Do we like work our way back? Where like where do we? You tell me. I'm an open book. Let's start WWE. I guess. I feel like that's the place to go. So, okay, when you first got signed to W, because you, you have like an insane background, even like prior to that. I mean, I'm familiar with it, but obviously like just like reminding myself as I was getting ready for this, I'm like, how the fuck did you even get into wrestling? Like, how did that happen? I mean, for you to be going from like NYU, playing basketball, how did you end up in wrestling? I always wanted to wrestle. You know, I was a fan since I was like, so young, since I can remember going to shows at Madison Square Garden, Nassau Coliseum, the Meadowlands. And then I guess there was a point in time in high school when it wasn't cool anymore. And I didn't care. And I stayed a wrestling fan. I think uh, I went to college, you know, pre-med, took the MCAT, uh, was doing all that good stuff. And I was pretty much lying to myself that I was going to be a doctor. I didn't really have any passion for it. And then after I graduated college, or actually when I was studying for the MCAT, I was like, I'm going to do my best on this exam, but this shit is not, I, I have no passion for this. And if I, you know, have to go to med school and a residency and doing something that I'm not very interested in, that I'm pretending that I want to do and I'm pretending I love it, uh, it wasn't worth it to me. So once I graduated college, the next day I went to Johnny Rod's wrestling school and paid tuition that day and started training. What was that conversation with your family? Because that is like a real hard left. For a while there, I, I kind of hid it from everybody because I was a bit apprehensive. I didn't know what their reactions were going to be to my decision. I didn't think that they were going to be very, very favorable reactions. So um, I kind of kept it secret for a while until I started traveling to a few shows. And then I started getting in touch with WWE. And uh, that's kind of when I told my parents, like, hey, I've, I've been wrestling and I'm actually going to get signed to WWE. It was a lot to hit them with all at once. When they found that I was wrestling, they found that I was moving to Tampa to train with WWE. Is that right when you lived with John? Yeah. So I got to FCW. What a shit show that must have been. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> that was, uh, I moved in with John in 2012 because I had a roommate when I first got there and he ended up getting released. And John, he was looking for a new place to live because his place, his first place was a complete dump. We drove by it one time. I'm like, dude, you lived here? What the fuck? It was like a literal cockroach ridden, like. Yeah, it was horrible. So he was trying to move out because it really, I don't know, it served its purpose, but he didn't want to live there anymore. And I happened to have, uh, you know, my roommate at the time got released and was moving out and going back home. So uh, I just told him, you know, you can move in with me. This is what rent is. We'll split it. And that's that. And then he moved in. And we didn't really know each other that well before that. So when he was moving in, it was a bit awkward. Like, shit, I don't even really know this guy. And I'm sure he was thinking the same thing. And he's not like, he's not the easy guy to like warm up to either. Like, he's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. So that first night we went to the movies, me, him, and uh, and Juice Robinson. That's so sweet. Yeah. We all went to the movies and then we were off to the races from there. I mean, there's so many stories I could ask about that, but like, whatever, we don't need to. And I probably know most of them anyways. I mean, the ones I don't know, I probably don't want to know. There's a lot of good <laughs> ones, bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're in WWE. Things are going great. You're paired up with Enzo. Um, How, let's just, let's just move ahead to you getting onto the main roster and like, what all happened there because you guys had your success and then shit started to hit the fan. What happened? Man, we were a star that burnt bright and quick. 
we went to the main roster, everything was, was going great. You know, we were selling a lot of merchandise. We were making really good money. And the amount of shirts in the crowd on hard cam that were ours was crazy. And in the moment then I didn't even, I just took it as like, this is going to be how this is just normal. And looking back now, I, I appreciate it a lot more because in the moment it was kind of, you know, we were doing it every night and it kind of just, you know, we expected that. So looking back, yeah, like we were a pretty hot item uh, at that point in time. And then shit hit the fan, you know, uh, they broke me and Enzo up and then I tore my ACL and then Enzo got fired. And then I came back and you saw a lot of that. Let's talk about that moment of this like heat moment. You and I are doing rehearsals for a promo that you were going to do. You were in rehearsals. I remember, yeah. <laughs> I'll let you tell the story and I'll back it up. Well, we were doing rehearsals and yeah, I feel like maybe there was a lot of stuff going on that day. And I guess I must have made a comment like, are we going through the whole thing in rehearsal? Or- it was a long promo. It was a long promo, very bulky. And it was like, yeah, there was a busy show pack day. And I thought that maybe they just wanted to get the shot where we're going to stand. So you look way shorter than me. You know, they put you, you know, the little tricks of the trade. And I said, are we going through the the whole promo? Cause it was, it was like two pages long and there's a lot of things to rehearse that day. And there were a lot of big things going on. And uh, I don't know. I, you knew better than me. I don't know what happened after that. That was like, I, I was already kind of not doing well. And I was really not being a good employee. And I was really not living up to my end of the bargain. And uh, I was making a lot of mistakes. And these, they came back to back to back to back. These weren't like six months separated, isolated incidents. It was all at once. My recollection of that before we get into all of these other things is that just to, to like clarify with everybody is that, yeah, it was a day you and I were standing there going over the promo. You were clarifying with the camera crew. You didn't want to feel like you were wasting anyone's time to go over the promo. And that was misinterpreted as if you thought you were too good to rehearse the promo. Perception's reality. And I guess my perception at that time, because like I said, there were some mistakes being made. My perception at that time was grandiose ego or out of control. I don't know. The perception definitely wasn't good. So I think that, you know, when you look at that situation and you already are very biased towards somebody because they keep fucking up. Someone, I don't know who must have taken it. Like, who the fuck does the person think he is? He's just not going to do rehearsal, which wasn't the intent. And and I talked to you after. I was like, did, did I seem like I was blowing that off? Or and you, I think everybody, the cameraman was confused. Everybody was very confused. You know, when that happened, I kind of knew like, this is not going to go very well for me the next month or so. And I had numerous conversations with you in catering. I remember there was one where I said to you, I'm, I'm getting fired. And you were, you know, you're trying to be like a, a good friend and you're like, I don't know. And I was like, no, I, I'm definitely getting fired. I, I knew it. So what were those moments like for you? Because I know that there was like, I mean, there was just a lot of stuff going on at that time. I mean, was that when like the drinking and stuff really picked up for you was during that time of like the stress and whatnot? Yeah. In like 2017, the drinking was really out of hand. It was easy to hide because addicts, alcoholics are very good at hiding their alcoholism. So I was hiding it from a lot of people. You know, I got injured. And when I came back, it was just in a bad place mentally and not to blame it on taking all medications that I definitely shouldn't be drinking with. You know, I guess I just kept drinking and kept fucking up. And uh, the drinking, yeah, it got completely out of hand to the point where everybody was noticing. There was no hiding it anymore. Everybody knew. And, uh, you know, it's sad to say 
looking back, but at the time I knew everybody knew and I still didn't give a fuck. I was like, I don't care. Well, I don't know what switch flipped in my head, but I really gave up spiritually. I think at that point I was done. So when you actually got released, did that make things better or worse? Was there like a bit of relief of like, okay, at least I'm not worrying about this happening anymore. Or was it like, oh, fuck, this thing that I've been dreading has finally happened. Yeah, it was initially it was a small, very small relief because I had known it was coming, but that uncertainty can really eat you alive, you know, especially at night, you're trying to fall asleep. You kind of know it's coming, but you're not sure. When I got released, that very small amount of time, it was a relief, but the drinking got really out of hand after that point because, you know, I had a roof over my head, uh, had plenty of money in the bank. I had no responsibilities anymore. I had no one to keep me accountable. And I was by myself kind of in Tampa, Florida, where no one, none of my family members or my, my friends from home were around to check on me. It was a recipe for disaster. And it really got it got bad. And look, looking back now, it's, you know, I'm very, very fortunate that the consequences, I, I faced some really bad consequences, but I'm very fortunate that it, consequences didn't end up worse. 100%. Like, thank God. Um, and yeah, I mean, just like, you know, seeing some of these things happening from the outside, I knew obviously you and John had still been in contact. You guys had been talking and, and whatnot, but yeah, was there part of you that wanted to move back to New York at that point, just to like have that support? Yeah, I was very confused, but moving back to New York was, I definitely wanted to move back to New York. I was, after I got released, going back quite often, at least every other week, I was going back for at least a weekend just to be home. And um, I really wanted to, to kind of move back home, but I still had that outlet in Tampa where nobody was going to see me. Nobody was going to judge me. I could drink all I wanted, live in my little bubble and not be accountable to any other person. So yeah, I, I kept going back to Tampa because I knew I had a problem. I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew I needed to change, but I didn't want to. And I could get away with a lot more on my own in Tampa. When did you decide that you didn't want to drink anymore? Because I mean, I know that is such a common thing of being like, I know I have a problem, but I still want to do this thing. When does that change? Like, what was that moment like for you? To be honest, the final time that I went to rehab, because the first time I went to rehab, I was doing it for other people. You know, I was doing it for family and, you know, there's an intervention and all that and friends and Lexi and, you know, everybody that was involved close to me in my life at that point, even Enzo. And um, I only went to rehab to appease them. So I didn't really want to quit. It got worse and worse and worse after that. And finally, you know, in early 2020 is when I went back to rehab for the final time. How many times did you go? three. And um, that was the point in time where I'd gotten my ass whooped by alcohol and I conceded defeat and I surrendered. I wasn't going to be able to beat this alcohol thing. I was tired of just living the life I was living and suffering horrible consequences and just watching my life go up in flames. So I guess that's rock bottom. Rock bottom is when I, for me, it was when I finally said, this shit ain't worth it anymore and you're going to end up dead or in prison, or this is just going to end very poorly. And that was kind of when I finally gave in. When you look back at like photos from that time or like think about how you felt during all of that to, to like where you're at now, I know you just posted a tweet recently about like where you're at feeling so good and sober and clean and everything is awesome. What is it like now, like being pulled out of that funk and being able to, to look back at it with hindsight being 2020? 
I have so much more gratitude. Um, when I look back at those pictures, you know, I'm embarrassed, a little ashamed, but honestly, in my heart, I feel terrible for that person in the picture. Cause you know, I knew, I know what he was going through and I know how bad it got. And I was just so out of shape and just unkempt and not taking care of myself. And, uh, it shows in pictures and videos or, or anything that I look back at from, from then. And, uh, yeah, yes, it's it's tough to look at in one regard, but in another sense, it's just um, look at where I'm at today. It makes me very grateful for where I'm at right now, knowing it could have gotten worse than it was. So you're very lucky and look at the turnaround you've made. That's one of those things like, I mean, as soon as John came back and everyone was like, holy crap, he looks so great. Like he looks 10 years younger. And like, to look at what he looked like before, and there was like a photo going around of like them side by side. And it's like, holy shit, like you really don't realize it when you're like in the thick of it or it just becomes the norm. And then when you can like really have like that moment of clarity to look back at it, it's like, it's so eye opening. It's crazy. Yeah, you look different. You feel different. It shows and just there's a vibrance, I, I guess, to people when they get sober. It's very liberating. How long did it take for that to really set in for you? I know there's like so many different stages of like kind of going through that for you to like really be feeling like your best version of yourself. It takes a while. There's something that, you know, not many people know about, but if you research it, it's, it's out there. Post-acute withdrawal syndromes, they call it PAWS, P-A-W-S. <clears throat> At the 30, 60, 90 day and the six month mark, you get withdrawal symptoms. I never knew that before. And usually that's a key for someone to relapse. So. I guess probably after that first year that that's when it kind of settled in like, okay, I can live my life like this forever. Like I can do this. I feel so much happier. I'm, I'm at peace. You know, I, I think um, that's something that I, I strive for is just peace because for my entire life, pretty much up until like getting sober, I just never had moments of peace without alcohol. It's crazy to finally have find peace without drinking. And that's kind of where I'm at now is, you know, I have ups, I have downs, bad days, good days, stressed out some days. We all have that, but there's that constant peace in my life that, um, yeah, it's really, it's, it's great. Fight fans, take your best shot with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, New customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up using the promo code Renee to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Get up in there. Make some money. You guys can choose from the money line and the method of victory and so much more. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. The app is so freaking easy to use. And when you win, you get paid real fast. And FanDuel Sportsbook has just launched in Ontario, Canada, my home province. Let's get after it. So to place your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code Renee. That's R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming. First online real money wager only. 
Refund issued as knowledge travel site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. And visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia or 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Talk to me about DDP stepping in. How did he help you? You've mentioned Lexi a few times. Of course, she, she is your girlfriend. She is uh, DDP's stepdaughter. What is your relationship with DDP and how did he help you? After I had that first seizure in Philadelphia, it was back in 2018, uh, he got in touch with me. He said, you know, if you're ever ready to come down here and visit Atlanta, and I'd, I'd really like to help you. And uh, I guess in May of 2019 is when I went down to Atlanta to link up with him and just hanging out pretty much, working out, hanging out, talking, and we developed a relationship and a, a bond and he's helped me tremendously. He was, you know, he was very instrumental in getting me through rehab the first time. And Did you have much of a relationship with him prior to all this happening? Not really. No, I didn't even have his phone number. I don't think it was hi, goodbye. He's somebody I always bonded with. I don't know if it's that New York, New Jersey thing. I don't know, but there was always some sort of connection there. But no, I, I never really had that good of a relationship with him until mm-hmm. until that point. That I mean, that just speaks such volumes. Like you hear these stories about DDP, like being this godsend to so many people and extending an olive branch and helping people through so many different situations. So it's really cool to know that that exists and that he was there to like help you out. Yeah. And obviously through him, I met Lexi. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Okay. So, so how did that all happen? So you're, you're hanging out with DDP. He is like a, a rock that you've been leaning on helping you through all this stuff. And then in walks Lexi. Well, no, I walked in cause she was, uh, she, I guess Dallas was like, Hey, you know, I got this guy coming this, this week to stay with us and work out. And you know, a lot of the times when someone comes to stay with Dallas, it's an older person or Someone that's having, you know, physical problems and you, but usually older at the, at the tail end of their career or already retired. So that's what she thought. And then, you know, she was in the kitchen in pajamas and very not done up and she was just having coffee or whatever. And I walked upstairs and she was like, I didn't know that this was the person, but we developed a friendship uh, first because that's a tough situation to navigate. So we developed a, a good friendship and it kept getting better. And then finally, um, we started dating and she was there for me uh, in my corner, you know, through rehab, through everything. So she's been a godsend. I remember talking to you about her like forever ago. We were at like what, like a Northeast show together or something. And you had like mentioned, you're like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm seeing this girl, Lexi. You gave me the advice to, to actually date her. Yeah, we were at Northeast Wrestling. I think uh, John had wrestled in the main event. I know there was weapons and shit because you were freaking out a little bit. We were talking backstage at the monitor and uh, I was telling you about her and I was like, maybe, you know, we should wait a little bit longer, see what else is out. I don't know why I, I was very apprehensive about starting the relationship. Then you were like, you just told me, you said, well, do you really like her? And I was like, yeah. And you were like, does she really like you? Yeah. And you kind of shot it to me straight. You're like, what are you waiting for, dude? You pussy, fucking do it. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm very much so of like the mindset of like, listen, if you're into somebody, just be into that person. You don't have to worry about playing like some games or like worry about like playing the field or whatever. If if you're into someone, you're going to be thinking about them all the time anyways. Just go for it. Lean into it. So you guys are welcome. So thank you for that. Hey, I'm glad that it's working out. Very, very cool. How is the relationship? How is it being in this relationship with this person that you're so into and you guys are living together? What's the status? Like I said, the first year was was a little bit rocky just because of rehab and all the stuff that I was going through. And um, But yeah, she moved in two Novembers ago. And then uh, our lease expired this past November and we moved in here uh, to this new place with a whole lot more sunlight. Beautiful nice backdrop. View. Yeah, a nice view and, and all that. And She's now on the road now every week with AEW, um, you know, working there as a backstage interviewer and she works with social media and she does some other stuff for YouTube and she's on the road every week now, which is fucking awesome. She's getting that opportunity. Yeah. So we're kind of, we live here with our two French Bulldogs, uh, Hudson and Bam Bam. She's on the road during the week. Uh, I'm on the road sometimes on the weekend, uh, a few times, a few times a month, maybe one weekend off a month. Um, so we're kind of figuring that out right now, navigating that you know, those waters of how we're going to get used to being apart, you know, so much, but yeah, it's been fucking awesome. She's a godsend. She's an angel for me. You know, she makes my life so much better. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, I'm so happy that, you know, I met her. I'm so happy that I was at Dallas's that day. Call it a cosmic experience, call it fate, whatever you want to call it. It's, I definitely believe in that shit. So, um, yeah, life is fucking grand right now. And she's a huge part of it. How was stuff with Impact? Like, what was it like for you in that period of, like, not being with WWE, wondering what was next, um, winding up at Impact? But before you even got to Impact, was there a period of time where you were questioning what you even wanted to do if you were going to stay in pro wrestling? Yeah, I had no idea. When I when I started, you know, my sobriety, when I was getting some months under my belt, um, yeah, I was considering going back to school. Uh, for a master's or MBA. And I wasn't really sure if I wanted to wrestle anymore. I don't know what you would maybe not bitterness or just caution or just, maybe I don't want to go back to that. You know, maybe I'm not as in love with it as I once thought. Um, So I was really pretty confused for a while there, Um, but I was enjoying sobriety and that was amazing. And I was, had to really focus on that for quite a while, but there comes a point where I wanted more and uh, I want to start doing things. And um, I, texted uh, gallows uh, about working the show kind of just i was gonna go back see if i liked it if i didn't change course and do something else go back to school um i don't know I, you could see it now i was very confused i didn't really have much so um texted gallows and he got me on a show in in atlanta and one of his shows and came back and got a really great reception and um it's what I love. It's my first love. So decision was made that night. Like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. Uh, cause this is, this is my true first love. When did you call Enzo up and be like, we obviously are the tag team. We must continue working together. Was there a period where you thought maybe you just wanted to go do singles competition or was it always in mind that you wanted you and Enzo to stay together? The singles was always how I wanted to go. You know, I did have the opportunity to do that thing at Madison Square Garden with him in 2019, that I couldn't turn down. I had never wrestled at the Garden ever. I was never, I was on Raw when SmackDown was going and I was on SmackDown when Raw was going. So I never got to perform in the Garden. 
So that was a no brainer. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. And um, after that, we got some buzz and we started doing shows together. But, you know, going to rehab and getting out and finally going back to wrestling, I decided, you know, and I talked to John and I talked to people and I decided, like, I, you know, want to make a name for myself and I want to do this myself right now. And uh, Enzo totally understands and he's going to do his own thing. But, yeah, I came back with the goal in mind of working on myself and bettering myself and becoming the best that I could be because it's tough, you know, when you feel like you've wasted your potential and there's days where I do feel like that. Is that not like the most heartbreaking thing to feel like you have wasted? Like it's, it makes me like feel sick to my stomach. I feel like, yeah, like I had a, a lot of potential to better myself and to get really good and to do something big in, in wrestling. And it's, well, why can't I do that now? It's only three years later. I'm only 34. And the other thing is like, I could have kept the charade going for years and years and been on WrestleManias and won world titles, but I still would have been a raging alcoholic and I would have been hiding it more and more and more and more, the more success came. And, um, everything happens for a reason. And I'm grateful that I got to the point I'm at now because yeah, I could have accomplished so many things in, in wrestling. If I just stayed the course and didn't fuck up and didn't make, you know, terrible mistakes, but yeah, I would have just still been an alcoholic with a lot of problems that need to be fixed internally that I was covering up. And so everything had to happen for me to get to this point in my life. I truly believe that, you know, but yeah, wasted potential is, is that's a hard, that's a hard one for sure. Well, here you are living your potential. I mean, crushing it with impact. How has that experience been for you? I mean, there's so many awesome familiar faces there. Um, you guys are doing such killer stuff. How has it been? Yeah. Impact's been great. The crew there is awesome. The writing team's fucking awesome. You know, Robert and Jimmy Jacobs and I really like it there. And I, you know, but now that I'm sober and have a good head on my shoulders, I feel like I'm doing the best work of my career. I feel like I'm getting better and better each time I'm out there. Um, and I feel like, you know, that potential that I talked about, I'm, I'm slowly reaching for it because I feel myself getting more confident. I feel myself getting better. And even when I watch my stuff back, I am getting better. So um, it's been a really good experience and impact. It's really awesome there. Everybody's cool. I think it, it was the perfect place for me to come back into wrestling into a, on a television show it was impact and I'm loving it there. And it's given me a, an opportunity to grow and kind of pitch ideas for myself and try to work together with them and try to become my best self there. When you're watching your stuff back and you're like really kind of combing through it, what are the things that you want to do better that you see as you being at your full potential to be the best version of yourself out there? You know, keep staying in good shape, get in even better shape work on my promos, but work on some things in the ring, uh, work on my footwork, work on my cardio pacing, you know, and also just my aggression. I think that's, a, that's a big one I want to work on. Those are all in, in ring things that, um, I'm really focusing on and in impact and kind of showing a lot more character showing, you know, cause in my previous life, I was, you know, either the big guy in the back that was the muscle and, or, you know, when I came back singles, it was kind of just, you know, tall guy, aggressive. That's well and good, but I felt like I could show an impact, show more personality and they've given me the opportunity to do that. So I guess stay the course, keep doing what I'm doing. You know, the, you know, the, what is the law of, of compounding returns? You know, if I get better today than tomorrow. I compound on top of that. And each day I get better and better and better. And I'm going to reach a place in a year where I would have never been otherwise if I keep doing what I'm doing. When are you going to bust out the vocals in Impact? Is this a possibility? <laughs> 
I don't know. I haven't pitched it. I don't know if anyone there knows that I can sing. Did the thing from NXT not make the rounds everywhere? Hello. Thank you for that, by the way. You were, you were a big part of that. Um, that singing contest in NXT with Aiden English is like one of my favorite moments in my career. I don't know why. It was so fun. Yeah, it was just so fun. And uh, that little small segment was like one of my favorite moments of my entire career. So, uh, no, I haven't, I haven't brought it up to impact yet. I don't know if that would fit with what I'm doing there now. Maybe not, but I do like that a moment like that is something that you appreciate that you're not just so like, it's gotta be tough guy, tough guy, tough guy. Like I like that you can have those moments and you have so many other sides of yourself to show and to have depth to your character. I mean, do you actually have to go out there and sing for everybody? Maybe not. But what a skill to have. But you could. You know, if they book that, I'll gladly do it. So for people that don't know, what is your your background as a vocalist? I never had any professional training. The most singing I did as a kid was, you know, singing along to music I was listening to. I thought you were like in choir or something, no? Not in choir. Yeah, I guess you could say in grammar school, grade school that I was in choir because we went to church almost every week or almost every day sometimes. And, you know, we sang and all that. So that was like my only singing experience besides just singing on my own and stuff. And then high school and college, and I would just do it as a goof a lot of times, uh, just sing. And um, I guess in WWE, when I first got there, I was doing the same. I was just singing as a goof in the locker room or in promo class, just, you know, to make people laugh. And uh, they actually decided to book it. So I have like no real professional training. Um, I'm not even that good. You know, like I know my strong songs and when I do karaoke or I do something on that, I know I can hit certain songs. That's the key is knowing what's in your wheelhouse to like really flex the muscle. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some things that I definitely can't do and I stay away from. Hey, guys, if you're here listening to the sessions, thank you. Hello. Hi. And you love some combat sports, well, be sure to check out Boxing with Chris Mannix. It's every Friday as he talks with the biggest names in boxing, UFC, and yes, even the occasional wrestling superstar. Chris is one of the most passionate and influential voices in the sport, and he's here every week to help you get smarter on all things boxing. He'll also help you win some money on FanDuel with his weekly betting segment where he breaks down the best bets for all the big fights. Download Boxing with Chris Mannix only here on the Volume Podcast Network. Okay, going back to some more you and Enzo stuff. What was the big difference between you guys at NXT versus when you got up to the main roster? What were some of like the expectations? What was some of the creative changes that happened? Creatively, it was just a new set of talent to work with, to do promos with. Um, you know, we got to do things with the New Day, which was awesome, kind of feed off of other tag teams and have fun with that. You know, we did the one segment with the New Day over in mm-hmm. overseas in the UK, and it's just a totally different ball game. It's NXT is, I guess it's less worrisome. It's less nerve wracking. It's, it's not as big of a deal. And like when you get to WWE, it's kind of everything you do is a big deal and it, and it could have consequences. And, you know, we messed up a few times. I could think of one time when we really messed up. Ooh, what was that? We went off script in uh SummerSlam in Brooklyn and sang, uh, I think a Frank Sinatra song and you can't sing or imitate things that are copyrighted. And uh, that was a stern talking to. Did Vince talk to you guys about that or was it, it was probably Kevin. It was Hunter. He was furious Hunter. Um, but we didn't know, like we had, we didn't know those sorts of things. It's just, I think everything is, 
amplified and it's so much bigger in the magnitude of things you do and the consequences of things you do could things you do are way bigger. And that's something that maybe in the moment back then I, I, I didn't realize, but you know, you're on live television. Like if you mess up or do something that could mm-hmm. cost the company, like that's on you. Like it's a way, I don't know, it's way bigger. It comes with a lot more money and a lot more glory or whatever you want to call it. But you have to watch yourself a lot more. I remember I did something like that on um, one of the kickoff panels. I sang a couple bars of a song and they were like, stop doing that. And I was like, oh shit, I had no idea. I don't know like the rules and regulations of how many bars of a song you can sing. I had no idea. If you go back and watch that SummerSlam, I think it was 2016, they had to cut it. But that was something we weren't told in NXT and we did it. And we thought like, yeah, it's New York. We fucking crushed it, man. And that was, you know, fuck yeah, that was on the fly and everybody was with it. And then we got to the back and I was like, you, you, come here. And I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. Was it like so tense as soon as you walked back through the curtain and gorilla of just like, oh, something happened? You know how it is when you don't realize you did something wrong? We came back. Jericho, thank you. Kevin, fuck yeah. And then we immediately like, we're like so happy. And then you turn around and it, the mood just completely changes, drops. And, and then you start thinking, oh, fuck, what did we do? What did we do? What did we do? Like, did, we must have fucked up. And uh, yeah, so that, that was a big one. That was a huge. And in NXT, I, you know, I, I, we might have been able to do that or get away with it. Because when we went to different towns on the road with NXT, you know, in, I sang Sherry in Asbury Park, New Jersey. We were doing stuff like that all over. When we were- what an interesting song to have range on, by the yeah. way. <laughs> Sherry. <Yeah. laughs> Now we know the range. Yeah, so that was cool. So we were kind of doing that with NXT, and then we thought, like, when we did it on the main roster, we were like, yeah, that was awesome. No, because there's a lot of consequences here to what you just did. Were there other moments, you can completely correct me if I'm wrong, and we can cut it out of this if we don't want to talk about it, but were there moments of, like, Enzo getting heat and you guys having to kind of have those conversations? I don't know if it was Hunter kind of checking you guys or if it was if it had to do with the promos. I feel like something was kind of happening for a minute that was um, felt like a little bit of thin ice. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't so much me. Um, but yeah, there was, you know, Enzo was making some mistakes. You know, I can't remember specifically what they were, but again, I'll have him on here of, to talk about it too, but it, yeah. it was kind of like what happened with me towards the end. It was like, he made a mistake next week, mistake next day, mistake. And um, Hunter was always, you know, the guy to, you know, talk to us, you know, if we had fucked up. Which, by the way, I'd much rather hear it from Hunter than from Vince. One hundred percent. Yes. And uh, but then there were a lot of talks where it was just Enzo and Hunter that I really don't know what was said. So Enzo's Enzo, man. Enzo's going to do what Enzo does. And he's going to suffer the consequences for being that person. So that's what happened. I feel like it's sort of like that catch 22 where it's almost like you're trying to do the things to stand out and you want to stay true to yourself and you want to like try new things versus being like, oh my, like I wish I had just simply stuck to the rules. Are there parts of you that like regret certain things that happen or? Yeah, the thing that, you know, towards the end, the thing, some of the things that I was doing, you know. Uh, the one incident on, on television, you know, with the little person imitating Daniel Bryan. And that was such a sh- horrible mistake. And looking back on it now with the same mind, the sober mind, it's like, what were you thinking in that moment? Like, why did you think that that was because uh, what happened was I was, was supposed to get mega heat. 
huge mega heat with this segment. And uh, we were in Montreal and uh, you know, that crowd, you know, they like to, they like the heels. Sometimes they like to comedy. They like to be snarky. And when I first did what I did, I looked in the crowd and people were just laughing. And I was like, that's definitely not the response that we were looking for here. Looking back at myself in NXT or even a year prior to that, I would have never done that. That's one that I really regret. And that kind of snowballed a lot of things. It's almost easy now to be like, what was I thinking? How did that happen? Because when you're really in the thick of it and there's so much stuff being thrown at you, it gets really difficult sometimes to decide like, is this good television? Is this good heat? Is this bad heat? It can get really muddy really quick. Like, I feel like I would, and not that I'm like the wrestling aficionado that fully knows, you know, this is going to be great and this is going to be bad, but there would be times like sitting in a production meeting and like after working for the company for so long and you're like, you know, a cog in the wheel, I would walk out and be like, I don't know what's good and what's bad anymore. I feel like my sense of my gauge of that is it doesn't exist anymore. I don't know what works anymore. I have no idea. So it's hard when it's like week after week after week. And then if you're being reprimanded for something or yeah, just trying to get like back on course with, with your career and in everybody's good graces, it can feel like a really weird, like slippery slope. Yeah, it's really slippery. And, you know, I just became a very different person. And I definitely was trying to make a name for myself or I don't know that that mistake alone was just me thinking this is the right thing to do for what we're trying to accomplish. Looking back now, no, you get paid to do a fucking job. You get paid a lot of money to do a job, do what you're told, or at least try to come to a, some sort of um, compromise if you're, you know, opposed to something. But yeah, like my intentions in that moment or some, a lot of moments was just, this is what I feel is best. Man, I'd, I'd made so many mistakes. Like I said, it was yeah. just, I had no leg to stand on anymore. Was there anybody that you were leaning on at the time? Like somebody that you felt like had your back and could be, you know, a, a trusted source? Samoa Joe. I was riding with him and- Solid guy. What a guy. Yeah, solid fucking dude. He was fucking great for me. Uh, he was uh, a guy that I could be myself around. Because at that time, being myself, I didn't like who I was. So he would help me and he tried his damn best to get me on course and get me in the right mindset. And at that point in time, no one was getting through. Like I said, I was just a different person. You know, even behind the scenes, there, there were a lot of people that tried to help me. Uh, Michael Hayes and John Laurinaitis. Uh, I remember a meeting I had with them and Road Dog. Like they were trying to help me. It wasn't that I wasn't hearing it. It was just I'd given up. I don't know what it was. Just checked out. And uh, it's a shame. You know, I... I made those mistakes. I have to own them. Wouldn't make them again. Probably wouldn't have made them a few months prior to when I did make them. But what can I do? I made those mistakes and now I got to keep moving forward with what I've been given, the hand I've been dealt. And I feel like I'm doing very good with what I'm, you know, what I've, situation I've been put in. I mean, despite those things happening and listen, like as much as that shit can fucking suck, it's life. Shit is messy and weird and shit happens at times that you're like, feel like you're on cloud nine and all of a sudden you get like struck by lightning and it's this like shit storm that starts happening. But now here you are, you know, time has passed. You've grown as a person. You're sober. Your career is great. Your relationship is great. Like shit happens. And as much as you can like look back and be like, oh, I mean, that was a shitty time. But like shit does kind of happen for a reason sometimes. And you go through some bullshit and here we are. 100% agree. It's I, I'm a big believer in 
I don't I guess you call it fate. Everything happens for a reason. These things happen to put me where I'm at right now at this moment in time in the situation I'm in. That it was meant to be. If I would have made those mistakes and not learned lessons from them, then yeah, that's shame on me, man. But I've been able to look at them and learn from them and know how to fix those mistakes or to never do things like that again. And uh, those are life lessons that now moving forward, I uh, probably won't you know, do things of that sort anymore. So, you know, everything happened to get me to this point right now, sober, healthy, happy, peaceful, full of joy in this apartment, talking to you right now at this moment. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So yes, everything is awesome. What do you want to do next? You have so much in front of you, uh, whether you're at impact, you're working independence, you can kind of maneuver to whatever you want to do. Who do you want to work with? What are some things that you want to accomplish? What's, what's on your like bucket list? Yeah. I kind of want to work as much as possible right now. You know, I, I have my obligation to impact and uh, do as many independents. Uh, I'd really like to work with New Japan Strong, and you know they they are in the United States. John just did a a show with them this past weekend. Um, really like to work with them. I'd like to work with Will Osprey. John, obviously, I've only been able to work with him one time. Um, yeah, I just want to work as much as possible and keep improving. Get as good as I fucking can be to make myself the hottest commodity I can be. And on the other end of things, you know, I filmed a movie back in. Uh, December, a horror movie that's going to be coming out soon called Who's Afraid? So kind of just getting my feet wet in, in that industry. It was a very small budget film and kind of just seeing what it's about and trying to learn as much as possible. And that was a really good experience because that shit's awesome. I always had a passion for the acting aspect of wrestling. And this is just acting, no bumps. Um, and uh, it's not live. So, you know, you fuck something up, do it again. I'm glad I did that movie because that kind of definitely set my sights to to also be interested in, in doing movies or films or shows or whatever. What about anything like outside of entertainment? I mean, you are a dude. We kind of rattled off some of the things, but like you are a very educated, very smart man that I feel like could do a million different things. Are there other things outside of entertainment that talk to you? I don't fucking know right now. I'm focused on wrestling. I'm focused on acting and the entertainment field. And um, yeah, I, I don't really have anything outside of that that I'm really pursuing right now. If I was going to do something, probably get a master's degree in social work and be able to help other people with problems with addiction. And that was kind of a passion of mine that I would like to continue to. I, I, I would you know, like to help people you know, in that field, people that are, are suffering silently and people with mental health issues. I want to try to do my best to help people like that because I've lived it, you know, and I can talk about my experience. Well, dude, it's so good to see you and to talk to you. And I've said it a million times, but you look great. I can tell that you feel great. Um, it's it's just so nice to to see you like this. Hell yeah. It's so nice to see you. It's been so long. Holy shit. You guys are coming through Cincinnati soon, aren't you? Oh yeah, we are. Oh, we'll definitely link up. Yeah, come meet our baby. Yes, that I would love to. Yes, a hundred percent. Please do. Yeah. Yes. You, you gotta you gotta write a book about how to, you know, look like that after, you know, having <laughs> a, ch- a child. So. Well, the key is shooting from the chest up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's just good. Kidding. Yeah. Uh, well, so good to see you and legit, yes. Come see us when you're here. I think you're here like next week. Uh, the beginning of May. So I will text you. All right. Thanks, bud. I'll, I'll see you soon. Yeah, no doubt. Thank you. Big thanks to 
Billy for joining me here on the show. So good to have him on. So again, like, dude looks great. He is like radiating. I just think he's got this like great glow. He's feeling good. He looks good. Career-wise, everything's awesome for this guy. So can't wait to see what else he's going to do. And uh, yeah, like I, you know, I kind of said at the beginning of the show, a little bit of a tease for maybe what's going to happen with the future of, uh, of William Morrissey. Very exciting stuff. Very cool. All right, guys, I am out of here. I'll be back next week. Got some really cool stuff lined up. Um, I sat down with Michelle Beadle, the one, the only Michelle Beadle. I mean, just you want to talk a trailblazer for women in sports broadcasting. She is it. We had such a great conversation. She's such a cool chick. We talked a lot about gardening. (laughs) Maybe you guys will be into it. I don't know. Uh, She's the best. So look out for that episode coming up uh, next week. Like, subscribe to all those things. And make sure to check out the YouTubes if you want to see these videos. They all exist on my YouTube. Just search Renee Paquette. It will all come up for you guys. Until next time, this has been The Sessions.